Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is October 8th, and today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 92, the second paragraph, which begins, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness. Today's readers are Julie R., Du, Devorah, and Paula. And the reference number for yesterday, October 7th, is 5268. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has one, but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Amy W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everybody. Amy W., Compulsive Overeater from California. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Amy W. I will now ask Ann S. to read the 12 traditions. 
Hi, good morning. This is Anne from Pennsylvania, Compulsive Overeater, The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction, Rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Anne F. And my apology to Anne and Amy for not mentioning the two of you in the original lineup of readers. Thank you for your service. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that, the, that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 92, the second paragraph, which begins, continue to speak of alcoholism. I will ask Julie R. to begin the reading. Hi, this is Julie R. from California, a recovered compulsive overeater. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of the body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. 
but you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if you will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual freely feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your concept, conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. Again, I'm Julie R. from California. And there is so much in this paragraph. Uh, you know, it starts right off the bat talking about um, alcoholism is an illness. It's a fatal malady. And, you know, we already talked about what, you know, fatal. I mean, obviously that is to die. And a malady is something that, you know, is chronic, a disease of the body. So if if the alcoholic is going to admit that, you're you're halfway home. Uh, I know for me, all the years where I just thought maybe I just had a slight eating problem, I couldn't fathom that this was an illness because that showed weakness. It was just the way I was raised. But once I talked to somebody that was also an AA and they explained to me what the disease concept was, it made sense. And um, But I, I didn't quite get it, so then I, I went away. When I came back in November, I am so lucky to have found this meeting and found a sponsor that I got to really understand that disease model. So you, I could hear your solution. And I never heard the solution before. I heard that I was a critical level food addict, but I didn't hear that I could live a life of being free. So when they ask you, let him ask you that question, is, you know, how did you get well? And we are supposed to tell them exactly what happened. And that means I can kind of tell them some of my horror, horror stories. You know, that's what the person did to me. I mean, they ate out of garbage cans. They stole their kids' food. I mean, I ate my kids' Halloween candy, and I let them fight over it and not tell my boys that it was me. Uh, I ate all the, you know, food in the um, work refrigerators and, and blamed someone else. But... I end it with a note that, you know, I have no desire to do that and I've made restitution for it. So it's so important that we stress what happened to us, not what happened to someone else, what my own experience was, because I can't really explain somebody else's experience. And that's what this this whole process is, is my transformation from being an addict, a compulsive overeater, to someone who can live in society and not play mental head games, not be manipulative, not be dishonest, uh, not do things inappropriately. You know, it's not about the food, but yet we have to let them know that, you know, we're not in the food anymore. Uh, In these italic areas where we hear that, you know, Bill put them in there for a reason, um, that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and to live by spiritual principles. I mean, right there, you know, it doesn't say anything about alcohol. It just tells you that you need to have a God that you could trust and have belief in and that you know is bigger than you. 
So with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Julie R. Who would like to share about this paragraph? Judy B. from Massachusetts. Okay, I heard Judy B. And who else came in with Judy? Kim. Okay, Kim, thanks. Judy B. and then Kim. Uh, Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. This just says so much to me because this shows me how I can be of help to someone else. I have been through this before. I understand what it was like when I was using food and and searching to make it the comfort of my life. And and, and I I remember clearly how it, it messed me up and how my life was so unmanageable. And this is something that we we can share with others. And and they will listen when they hear that, when they realize that that you also, you know, suffered through this and and we can talk about our own our own experience, our own personal experience and and I just when I do that I just try to make it so clear of how how crazy and messed up my life was when I was was living that way and how what a change what a change this um this program has made and you know just to talk about the um the physical malady and the obsession of the mind and and to make it clear that that I was not just a regular overeater who liked food you know I had a real problem with it and it messed up my life for many many years and um had I not found a solution, I would not be living now. I know that. And um, I just think we need to let the newcomer know that we understand where he's at. And we understand that it's not easy. But it's important for us to let them know that there is a solution. You know, it, it's not the only solution, but this is the solution that worked for us. And... Um, we we are just offering something that um most people really want to grab onto and um and from that point on you know we have a, we have a dialogue with them we can we can talk about what happened and um i just think that um my past is my greatest asset because it it helps me to uh To, to know what the other person is is going through and to empathize with them and to and to really let them know that there is a solution and uh, I know that I was so desperate to hear about the solution when I needed it and I'm grateful to be able to pass that on now with this I, I pass thank you thank you Judy B Kim good morning Kathy Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. So in this chapter, Working with Others, we're talking about how do we approach the new prospect. But I want to talk about, too, how do we approach people like me who are in the room for 17 years 
that will come in and out of this fellowship, get periods of abstinence and pick up, get periods of abstinence and pick up. What are we missing in the rooms that our recovery rate is so low? You know, I, I was, I was, at least I felt I was told that food and weight was my problem. You know, if only I did this perfect food plan that someone gave me, I would be okay. If only I got down to a certain size, I would be okay. But they're letting us know here, we talk about what is the true nature of our disease. The true nature of our disease is I have an allergy of the body. When I ingest certain substances, I crave more and more and more, and there's nothing that I can do about that. I will always have that allergy, which is why I have to abstain from those foods 100%. And if that was my problem, then I could simply get that perfect diet, and I would go about my life, and I would never need to do the steps. But the larger aspect of my disease, the mind which accompanies it, that mental twist, that blank spot that leads me to that insidious first drink. That is the true nature of compulsive overeating. That is the reason that I need a 12-step program. Yet I feel that I was taught it's an emotional disease, and if I can use these steps to figure out in my childhood when I became, went from the cucumber to the pickle, I'll be okay. But when I look at the evidence, the empirical evidence, and look at that, especially that chapter more about alcoholism between Fred and Jim. When I had a good day like Fred, I picked up. When I had a bad day like Jim, I picked up. When I was having a, in a good relationship, I picked up. When I was in a bad relationship, I picked up. When I had a good job and was stressed out, I picked up. And when I was unemployed, I picked up. That emotions are not the reason that I pick up. Outside circumstances are not the reason I pick up for this internal condition, this obsession of the mind. And when I talk about that, when I weave my stories into theirs and allow them to talk about what it was like when they were in the food and the horror of that, but even more importantly, what it was like when they were abstinent, when they were in OA and they had six months and they were crawling out of their skin and they were restless and they were irritable and they were discontent. And I get them to understand that food wasn't the problem. Food was the solution. It gave us that ease and comfort. That's why we went back. We didn't go back because it didn't work. We went back because it worked. And we crawled into OA because it stopped working. And that is the true nature of our illness. And that was something that I wasn't taught. Or, if I, or maybe I was and I wasn't willing to listen. I don't know. But when I truly got this pure message of the big book, that I talk about the conditions of the body and mind which accompany it, and it's explained to me that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Only then was I open up to that solution. So where it says here, even though your protege may not have an entirely admitted to condition, he has become very curious to know why you got well. Let him ask you that question. I do not talk about these steps, especially to people who have been in and out of this fellowship for a long time, who think they know everything, until they ask me that question, until they get to that point where they are defeated, where they are screwed, and they see that I don't live there anymore. And when they ask me that question, that's when I begin to tell them about the true 12-step program, which allow us to walk through these steps. And the miracle today is not that I'm strong enough to beat the food. The miracle today is I no longer want my binge foods.
And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Yes, go ahead, Paula. And thank you, and thank you for your service today. There's two lines here. Oh, there's so many lines, but I'm gonna I'm gonna zero in on two. Go continue and then drop down. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You know, it's when you go into a doctor's office and they say, Well, this is pretty pretty bad here. But wait, we have something that may help. You offer a solution. It's like when you sit with someone and you're doing a puzzle and you have the last piece, because that's what it is to them, a puzzle. Here's the last piece that fits. But then I want to drop it down to that last line. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, I mean, he's a listening. He has become very curious. What is curious? Curious is a rarity. Honey, you bet you're a rarity. If you're at the place that you have recovered, you're a rarity. He wants to know. He's curious. Curiosity killed the cat. Ah, but satisfaction brought him back. He's a listening to know how you got well. That's what he wants to know. Not by you, just your words, but by even the fact that you're sitting there talking to him. That's not usual. That's curious. In the rarity for all the fighting he did, he's still the place that he's at. But he looks at you. Now be clear here. Not just hearing you. He's taking in more than hearing you. He's watching you, honey. There it is. There it is. It is in the scene. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Good morning. It's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Hey, hey, good morning, Kathy. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name's Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Powerful paragraph. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. I appreciate the previous comments on this. Um, unfortunately, uh, this kind of material and information has been missing in, in the rooms of OA that I have, uh, you know, a double-edged sword. On the one hand, uh, you know, there are certain substances that I'm allergic to that when I ingest them, it triggers a phenomenon of craving that always intensifies. It never satisfies. It's like taking a match and throwing it into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! That's it. I take off, but that's, and that's a bad problem, but I have a much worse problem than that. I have a mental problem. I have an obsession of the mind that despite uh, any pain or suffering that I've experienced, uh, it will compel me to pick up that first bite over and over and over and over and over again. It says, keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. And this is, you know, the obligation, responsibility, the duty, and the pleasure that those of us that are recovered have. Um, The big book teaches, you know, we have recovered and have been given the power to help others. This is not about uh, personal power or personal recognition or wanting pats on the back. This is about um, being so humbled by this 
disease, and yet so grateful that we've been released from the shackles that uh, we just want to give it away as, 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 a, as a token of gratitude to God. Um, personal experience, yeah, you know, uh, progression, you know, I kept compulsively overeating using greater amounts. I was no longer able to control consistently or predict when I'd stop a binge. I was absolutely unable to quit. And uh, once, you know, I couldn't stop once I had started. I couldn't stop from starting again. Um, I was getting in m- myself into very embarrassing and humiliating situations. I had thousands and thousands of binges. Um, eating off the floor, frozen food, burnt food, stealing food, uh, eating until I was in a stupor on the couch uh, with the saliva dripping down you know, the side of my face, useless, um, and, and medical consequences. You know, basically my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. It says, but you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You know, I am happy to announce that as a result of coming to Overeaters Anonymous and getting a copy of this book and under the guidance of a man who knew what he was talking about and who had trudged this very same road, and by as a result of performing the requirements in this book, I am very happy to announce uh, to anyone that would like to listen that I, that, you know, I have not found it necessary to pick up that first bite since January 19, 1987. And that's not as a result of any personal success. It says here, um, tell him exactly what happened to you. The steps are designed to do one thing, and that is to cause a spiritual awakening. The whole journey through the steps takes me to step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message and to practice these principles in all our affairs. The whole point of joining OA and moving all through the steps is contained in those two words, spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And this is the message we carry. It says, if the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. Two qualifications. Can't be you, and it's got to be greater than you. And that's the miracle. And that's the miracle. We carry a message of depth and weight. We are properly armed with facts about ourselves. This isn't a question of, of uh, compulsive overeaters, of, of, of giving me anything. My stability comes out of trying to communicate this program of recovery, not demanding that I receive, but this is an opportunity to plant seeds. This program works. This program works. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Who else would like to share? This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. This is Sharon in Colorado. Hey, Katie, and then Sharon. Thanks. Go ahead, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, tell them exactly what happened to you. That stress the spiritual feature freely. Um, you know, when I read this paragraph and I think about my own and I uh, talk about my own situation, 
I am brought back once again to the fact of what a miracle it is because I cannot do this on my own. It is not, as Leah said, you know, we don't do this to boast about our recovery. We do this to remember who and what we are and that it is nothing short of a miracle that, you know, we have been able to put down the food. And it's not of my own power. It's of... um, it's a power greater than myself that has done for me what I could never do for myself. I tried and tried and tried to put down the food. I sat in the rooms for six years and, you know, would put the food down for a day or two, a week or two, and then, you know, the day would come when something would come up and this would happen and that would happen and I'd pick up the food again. So, you know, to be standing here today and, you know, coexisting with, binge foods in my house and, you know, living in the middle of a field in central Virginia where no one could would know if I was binging my brains out, you know, I could, I could easily, you know, just blend in with the rest of the population that's obese these days. But, you know, it's the mental obsession. The mental obsession is what um, killed me, is what was trying to kill me keeping me from having a life of sane and happy usefulness. Uh, it, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the weight. It wasn't uh, the fact that I, you know, tried to uh, be happy wearing, you know, uh, big clothes and just to be content. None of that worked because the mental obsession was running my life. And no food plan, no uh, abstinence plan, nothing was able to, that was not what stopped me from this mental obsession. It was a power greater than myself, and that's what I have to offer to people, to say, if you want what I have, if you want to um, have this transformation, then here's what I did. You know, I picked up this spiritual toolkit and put my trust and hope in a higher power instead of myself. I was the last person that I trusted anymore. And that was the difference for me. I used to be full of excuses and full of answers and full of um, buts. And that had to stop. I had to stop saying that I knew what was best for me and trust that a higher power had a different plan. And trusting one day at a time, I have not had to go back to that way of life, to the deception and the stealing and the lying and the manipulating and the whining and complaining and misery and depression. I traded those in for a life of sane and happy usefulness, and I'm very grateful that that will pass. Thank you, Katie. And Sharon? Sharon from Colorado, are you there? Thank you. This is, this is Sharon. Can you hear me? I was having trouble getting unmuted. Sure can. Go ahead, Sharon. All right. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Sharon, a compulsive overeater in Colorado, and uh, I am working on my ninth step, and I have been one of those that have been in and out of the rooms with the longest period of abstinence um, back in the 90s for five years. So I am so grateful today that I, uh, by God's grace and by listening to this uh, meeting, I am finally accepting to the core of my being that this uh, 
mental twist of mine with the food is fatal, and I am doomed, and it will never be different than that. And as Leia said, the only solution is a spiritual solution. I will never be able to control it in my own strength or in my own power. And as long as I keep fighting and resisting the fact that this is the way it is, then I will not ever receive the gift of abstinence and stay stopped. I could get abstinent. I was not able to stay stopped. And um, I just had a perfect example of this this morning because on page um, 66, it also said uh, regarding our deep resentment, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and the growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. And I received an email. I looked at it from my granddaughter, and my first reaction was, I was angry. I was angry. And I know today the only hope for me when that mental twist comes up and I am angry, I must, I must lay that down just like the food and ask God to save me from being angry, help me to see that she's a sick uh, young lady just like myself, and uh, lead me away from that anger. And that's what I'm doing in the process of the steps. And so I'm very grateful to be here today. Thank you for you, for your service, and thank you for everyone out on the line. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And, uh, I'm going to take a turn here. This is Kathy Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, listening to everyone today and returning to the statement, talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it and tell them exactly what happened to you. I realize that um, my uh, service to others and my um, approach to has really shifted as a result of the reading that we've been doing um, in the last week or so. Um, I realized that um, sharing what I was like in the disease is perhaps more important uh, when I first start working with a newcomer than um, the solution is um, because it's a way to enable... Uh, the other person to really identify in. And I keep having that experience over and over again. It used to be that um, I used to uh, reinforce and restate what it takes to be recovered, the working of the steps, the the active uh, engagement with my higher power. And those are very, very important. However, I'm beginning to see that in order to really establish um, a deep connection with someone that will help them move through the steps, I need to start with where I started with the disease so that we can share that difficulty together. And with that, I pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Okay, I heard two voices. Can you tell me again? This is Janice. And Larissa. And Melissa. Okay. Larissa. Oh, Larissa, I'm sorry. 
Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I tell you, when we read this portion of the big book and working with others, it's always such good information for me to have. You know, to be reminded of who I am and what I'm up against one day at a time. And I I so agree with the directions about how I keep the emphasis on my own experience. I keep the emphasis on my own experience. You know, and this paragraph even says, you know, if his doctor tells him that he's an alcoholic, so much the better. But doctors could tell me I had a problem and tell me over and over again. But there was something about someone who had my problem talking to me that was unlike anything I had heard before. Unlike anything. I had heard before. Because we have to remember, I have to remember, that when someone comes in like I did, they are sick. They are sick. They are suffering from that twisted thinking. They are suffering from the very same thing that I suffered from, which is there was no way out. And I had been trying and trying and trying. And many times I had given up. But here was someone in whom the problem had been solved. And first of all, they told me of their own experience, and they kept stressing their own experience. And that was what I could relate to. And then they did it in such a way that they invited me in. They invited me in. They, I didn't even know that's what exactly they were doing, but that's what they were doing. They were inviting me in. They told me exactly what happened to them. And they stressed the spiritual angle freely. They began to talk to me about how they had found the power, this power greater than them. But they stressed that it did not have to be, it did not have to be the exact same thing for me. That their higher power, I did not have to agree with their conception of God. That I would grow to find my own conception of God because that's what they had done. And once again, they emphasized their experience freely. They were living by spiritual principles embodied in the 12 steps, and they had found that spiritual principle themselves through their own experience, through their own work, and that that could happen for me too. That's what I began to see. But they said the main thing is that I be willing to believe in a power greater than myself, and that I be willing to live by those spiritual principles. They stressed that because that had been their experience. And I tell you, when you sit with another compulsive overeater and you see how much like them I was, and then when you see when you have recovered how much that newcomer is exactly like I was when I walked in the door, that's where the miracle starts. That's where the beauty is. Because if they were as sick as I was when I walked in, suffering from that twisted thinking, caught, prisoner, just like I was, then the ringside seat to the miracle is amazing. But they needed what I needed in the very beginning. Someone in whom the problem had been solved, but someone who kept the focus on themselves and their experience. 
and invited me in by doing that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Larissa? Good morning, everyone. My name is Larissa. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive eater in New York. Um, thank you, everyone. Um, just love the the experience, strength, and hope, and love what was read today. Um, two things are coming. Well, a few things are coming up for me. Um, from some of the shares um, thus far, it's making me remember the distinction between working with someone who has never been in the rooms before versus working with someone who was like me, who had years and years of what I called chronic relapse. I've come to understand what I had with chronic falling off of a food plan, um, which was not relapse because I could not relapse until I had actually recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. And I got away with being in OA for many, many, many years, using it as a diet club and a support group and never being forced to do the work to follow the precise direction so that I would have my freedom. So I was basically white-knuckling my recovery every step of the way. And there's nothing worse than the demoralization of having a head full of program and a belly full of food and wondering, like, why am I not able to get this? And, you know, so I am eternally grateful to OA for saving my life, but at the same token, I, I had a resentment that they allowed the tools to be more important than the instructions for freedom from this debilitating uh, malady. Uh, I'm brought to page 64 um, in the resentment section when um, they are sort of putting nails in our coffin and telling us that uh, um, that from it stems all sorts of spiritual disease, but we have not only been mentally, I'm sorry, so we are not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. And it, it promises us that when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And I think so much of what happens in our fellowship is the other way around. Just don't eat and go to meetings. Just don't eat and go to meetings. That didn't bring me a solution. I could have gone to a million meetings and I would have never recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body until I followed the precise directions that brought me a spiritual solution. I also love the reminder in this paragraph that it's my own conception of God. It brings me back to Bill's story when that becomes in 12 steps and and it's really an aha revelation for Bill that, um, like, what do you mean I get to pick the God that works for me? And um, I came into those rooms as an agnostic bordering on atheist. And, you know, the, these instructions came from a Christian fundamentalist movement, the Oxford group. Um, they could have limited how to serve someone to them being required to believe in the God of their understanding at that time. And much of the wording in our beautiful basic text has a very Christian undertone, but the reality is that each and every step of the way we are reminded that our relationship with God has to be a personal one and that we will grow in understanding and effectiveness so who God is to us and for us will morph and change as we grow our spiritual life. And that's really the most important requirement of um, of our recovery is the willingness to grow along spiritual lines each and every day, the maintenance and growth of our spiritual experience is hit home over and over and over again, and the reminder that it requires work. Faith without works is dead. There's no point in having a belief in God and not being in constant thought of how to help the man who's still sick. So here the book is teaching us very precisely. You know, the book was written when there weren't enough sponsors to go around. So we don't need a sponsor to recover. We are so blessed to have them as our guides through these steps walking hand in hand with us on that blood highway. But 
the reality is we must be sponsoring in order to stay recovered. So having a level of understanding for how to most effectively seek to help the man who's still sick, we have to remember what it was like. We have to be able to relay what we used to be like. Um, and I also believe we have to be able to listen to what they are experiencing um, so that we can relate our experience, strength, and hope to theirs. So, but, you know, I love these reminders that we must start with the, the, the nature of the disease and how we are doomed. We must start with, with the fact that there's no way out. If you're, if you're like me, there's no solution that's going to work. It's just simply focusing on what you put into your body. Um, because if that were the case, then any diet program in the world would work for me. Um, I could lose weight and keep it up for a millisecond, and then I'd be right back eating my way to oblivion and putting on all the weight and then some for a lifetime. And it was, you know, the, the other word we hear is about curiosity that I think was brought up. And, um, you know, in How It Works also, there's a reference to some of us trying to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. I had to let go of ideas that I had learned in a way that saved my life when I was 300 pounds that were no longer serving my recovery when I really understood the precise instructions and the fact that the root cause of my disease is that I selfishly want life to go the way that makes me comfortable. Um, I'm so grateful that someone awakened me to understanding that the more that I focused on my food and not on the root cause of my disease, and the solution to my disease, the less I was able to solve my problem. And when I finally got that the root of my disease is what I needed to focus my energies on, those patterns of a lifetime of selfish self-centeredness, and the spiritual solution that is laid out for me from the first 100 recovered alcoholics, that's when I found that space of neutrality, safe and protected, and I didn't have to white knuckle being on a food plan or basically a diet. Um, thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Larissa. Let's move on to the next paragraph, and I'd like to ask Du to read that for us. Good morning. Uh, this is Du, compulsive reader. Um, it says, when dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There's no use in arousing prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. Um, and, you know, this is a small paragraph, but it's very, very powerful. Uh, what I'm reminded of is on, um, on what it says about um, on page 46 that, uh, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive, or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. Uh, it is open, we believe, to all men. And, you know, and here it's talking about uh, theological terms and conceptions. And, you know, and it says keep it simple. Keep it in everyday language. Describe the spiritual principles, you know, in everyday language. And, you know, we don't have to second-guess this. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's already been invented for us. <laughs> All we have to do is follow what has been laid out for us in this book. And, you know, and I'm reminded of what page uh, 45 says here. Um, difficulty arises when, with the agnostic, many times uh, we talk uh, 
to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss alcoholism problems and explain our fellowship, but his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, spiritual terms, spiritual principles. That's what it's talking about here, especially when we mention God. But we have reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded, entirely ignored. We know how he feels. Why we know how he feels? Because we have the experience. We have gone through it, <laughs> through the steps already. We have gone through steps one up to step 12. Now we're ready to help someone else. And it says we have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. Um, we have that experience. You know, we've been through the experience of doubting God, doubting uh, these uh, spiritual terms. And it says some of us have been violently anti-religious to others the word God brought up a particular idea of him with which someone had tried to impress them during childhood. Perhaps he rejected this particular concession because it seemed inadequate. With the rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought and the faith dependence upon a power beyond ourselves, somewhat weak, even cowardly. We look upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity and deep skepticism. And, you know, and we don't have to worry about, you know, all theological terms or our own, even our own conceptions, our own convictions about, you know, these concepts. We can just keep it simple. Um, bring out Describe the spiritual principles. What are the spiritual principles? They're very, very, very simple. Um, some of the pr- spiritual principles that we can hone on as we're going through the steps, as we've been taught, is honesty, hope, faith, um, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, self-discipline, love, perseverance, spiritual awareness, and service. And as we're going through these steps, we should be encouraging um uh, the newcomer, the the person that we're helping to hone in on those spiritual principles because that's what he's going to be building on, you know, and we could keep it simple and just um, explain about our own convictions, about our own experience, about what we've been through in in connecting with that higher power. And it's as simple as just having our own conception of a power greater than ourselves. That's as simple as it gets, you know, just having a willingness to believe in something greater than ourselves. And everything else was so uh, beautifully covered from the previous paragraph about how to connect to that higher power and how we bring the newcomer to that place. Um, But what I see here, and again, you know, it's about the simplicity of this program and not complicating it and just keeping it simple for the newcomer and just sharing our experience, strength, and hope, and that should bring them along. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Do. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Margaret. Margaret, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. Thank you uh, for your service. You know, your prospect may belong... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm the wrong paragraph. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms. I, I just love that. You know, to describe spiritual principles and that there's no use arousing any prejudice. I had so many prejudices of my own that I was trying to cast aside, and I certainly didn't need a sponsor to give me any more. Um, 
you know, not and in well-meaning too. Motives were certainly good for sure. Our motives are good; they really are. But we have to be so careful because, you know, it's so easy to arouse prejudice. I mean, I could have prejudice against, you know, spiritual things, or I could have prejudices against, like, sometimes um, I used to walk away thinking I'll never be able to do it as as good as them. That was a really big thing that I had in my life. I'll never make it. I'll never make it through this because I can't do it exactly like they. I don't have the exact food plan or the exact this. And I used to really just be so distraught thinking I'll never make it because I can't be that perfect. And, um, you know, I had to just keep keep casting those prejudices aside because I really, really always heard God say one thing to me, just keep moving. Just keep moving, just keep moving towards spiritual principles because uh, I believe it's in To the Wise where it says, you know, if there's a problem... We, we know only one solution, and that is to enlarge my spiritual life. That's always the, the answer, to enlarge my spiritual life. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Margaret. Who else would like to share? Um, well, this is Kathy. Um a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I just want to mention the prejudice. There's no use arousing any prejudice. I had so much when I came into uh, OA 20 years ago that the first mention of God and spiritual practice uh, almost had me walk out the door um, and I still remember that first meeting um, when uh, individuals approached me afterwards um, and did emphasize um, the nature of the disease and what they had experienced. And it was by focusing on that rather than um, focusing on quote, the God thing that enabled me to come back to a second meeting. And I must admit, it took me several years um, before I was really uh, ready and willing uh, to consider a power greater than myself. Um, And I think that's mainly because the sponsors I encountered uh, early in my program uh, were abstinent, but they weren't necessarily recovered. Um, So I'm so grateful that uh, I found my way here and to the big book and to an intensive study of the big book um, because that's what's enabled my recovery. With that, I pass. We have time for one more share. Anybody want to take it? This is Janice. Go ahead, Janice. (laughs) Thank you, Kathy. Thank you so much. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, so when dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe the spiritual principles. There is no use arousing any pre- prejudice he may already have. You know, I love this story in the fourth edition called The Perpetual Quest because it says, this is page 397, just as importantly, I believe that I recovered through the grace of a higher power despite the fact that I was very angry and wanted nothing to do with God when I arrived at Alcoholics Anonymous. 
In fact, I did not need to find God. I only needed an open mind, and the Spirit found me. And the Spirit found me. So I think when we work with someone and we, and we use our own everyday language, you know, when we describe what happened to us, when I describe what happened to me, that before this I had found it impossible to stop and not start again. I had found it impossible to stay away from the food. But that what happened to me as I began to grow away from the food, I couldn't run away from the food, but I could grow away from the food. And how did that happen for me? It happened for me because I found a power greater than myself. First in a group of people that were doing something that I had not been able to do by myself. And I grabbed on to what I saw. And then I kept an open mind and the spirit found me. I began to do the work that they were doing, but they described it in very everyday language. They told me what they were doing one day at a time. And they told me if I stayed in that place just for today and I did what they were doing, I could find what they had found. And that was the greatest blessing to me because I could put one foot ahead of the other. I could stay right here, right now. And in one 24-hour period, something happened that I had never been able to have happen before. And I used all what they were telling me, but they described it in their own experience, in their own language, and they used those spiritual principles in a very real and down-to-earth way. And that's what I needed to hear. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Thank you. Uh, It's now time to close the meeting, and I want to thank everyone who has shared and also our readers, um, Amy W. and S. on the Steps and Traditions, and Julie R., Du, Devorah, and Paula. Uh, Thank you all for either reading or being ready to read. Um, We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Uh, Devorah, would you please read a vision for you? On page 164, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, yes, hi, it's Devora. Um, just one second, here I am. Okay. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.